senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 51. And this is kind of an interesting episode for us because we're finally using all of this studio equipment we've put together and we're using it for reasons other than silly fucking sound effects. And It's like Rube Goldberg machine that you've got set up here that records sound and somehow manages to not catch on fire. Oh, but, but it does work <laughs> and it works for the intended purposes of stupid sound effects. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamine. So, but yes, we uh, did our first remote skype interview that we've ever done on this show it's true nobody so, died or anything well we're not sure we haven't checked in with the guy since we <laughs> talked to him if i had to talk to, if i had to talk to us i would immediately close skype and quietly eat a bullet <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh yeah it's a new uh comic from uh action labs uh coming out and I, I swear this is the title uh it's called holy fuck it is uh it's by uh nick marino and daniel aruda Masa. Hey, you rolled the R. No, I did not really roll the R. See, that's the problem. He's a nice man with a a part Netherlands, part Portuguese name, and you're supposed to trill it, and I'm physically incapable of it. What kind of parents would name their kid that? (laughs) But uh, yeah, we had a a talk with them earlier this afternoon. So this is going to be one of the the rare shows. Normally try to do the whole goddamn thing live to tape because it's more fun. It feels more spontaneous. This one, since it was the first time wiring all this shit together to talk to one person in California and the other person halfway across the world, uh, just in case everything went to hell, we wanted to do it <laughs> do it separately. So for the first time, we'll we'll cut that portion of the show in uh, a little later on. But it, it it's a really fun book, and we had a really fun talk with those guys. So personally, I'm sold on the interview process now. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least with these two guys. Next person might might be total cock. Impossible to say, <laughs> but <laughs> nah, it was it was enjoyable. Uh, so thanks to those two guys for checking in with us earlier yeah. today. So so we'll have that uh, in a little bit. Um, and I'm I'm really psyched to finally be using some of this shit. I always dreamed we'd finally have enough equipment and enough time to be able to put things together and actually interview people. Because let's face it, we're on the outskirts of Boston, where the comic industry fucking ain't. That's <laughs> true. There's no. We're, com- we're the taint of the comics industry. Yeah, right there, there's like one or two artists who live in the area, and that's basically it. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to be able to do that. <laughs> and I'll warn you, there's one or two sound drop-offs. And Skype is not perfect, but yeah, you know, what the fuck. But, you know, it, it's it's cool that we have technology that allows us to have a conversation with people from literally around the world. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's cool to have enough technology that they're willing to even talk to yeah. us. So, yeah, definitely had fun with that. I'm looking forward to to adding that to the show. So, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, we're going to start out with, and we're going to start out with, a be, because it is newsworthy, but we also, <laughs> Amanda and I just had fun talking about it in our regular lives this week. Uh, Dan DiDio, uh, co-publisher of DC Comics, uh, over a few days last week, and it's not done yet, it's sort of dropped off. He he says in the post he's not done, but <laughs> it's his 13th anniversary at DC Comics. Now, he started out as vice president of editorial before he got promoted to executive editor uh, a couple years in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And apparently he realized from LinkedIn, it gave him a, hey, congratulations, you haven't been fired in 13 years. Uh, LinkedIn will do that for you? Like, just virtual self-esteem? I'm not sure LinkedIn does anything for anybody. Yeah, well, there's that. Besides invite you to join LinkedIn. (laughs) I mean, I'm not on LinkedIn for the same reason I'm not on any other social media. Yeah, I'm not on LinkedIn. (laughs) It's, I just, I don't want to be found. There are too many, too many angry, disappointed ex-girlfriends out there. (laughs) I just do not want them. I got like the one like stalker ex-boyfriend from college who just like will randomly like I did get an invite from LinkedIn from him. Of course. I, I got um like found me on a website related to my industry and like left a message. Yeah. Love Frenchie. Yeah, literally. And no, I never called him that. So don't. <laughs> he, he was in the pink ladies? Possibly. <laughs> there was a weird fetish. I try not to think about it. This guy honestly called himself fucking Frenchie? Yeah. And and he he liked you? <laughs> because you're a woman. <laughs> I know. Seem like... And he also played rugby. I, I He was complicated. All right. This is a confused human being, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah. And, like, random phone calls here until I put him on, like, the, you know, send this to the, the number you're trying to reach. We'll not accept your call. Please fuck off. Like, <laughs> that, that functionality that we have on our voicemail. <laughs> I never, I never knew that you had a, a stalker. Do I need uh, to be concerned? I don't think so. Because I, I am not in a condition to fight a rugby player. <laughs> Have you seen a picture of this gentleman? Has he ballooned like the rest of us? He's then the one I... that broke my couch at my old place. That's why it was up on phone books and cinder blocks. Oh, so he's not just ballooned. He's almost imploded like a black hole. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> This is a, this is somewhat uh, disturbing news. I am a large, semi-muscular man. I can take it. No, I really can't take it. Yeah, you let me know if this guy comes around. I don't want any part of this. I will. I will. So, but yeah, that's precisely why I am not on LinkedIn or anything else where anybody can find me. Okay. Yeah, I, I tell, I have a limited circle of friends from any point in my past, and I tell all of them, if anybody asks, you tell them I was killed in a battle with renegade ninjas. <laughs> Just <laughs> Well, if they're ninjas, aren't they by nature probably renegade? No, not necessarily. I would imagine that you need to have tight discipline to be a standard ninja. That's why I, I want the insane ninjas. Oh, okay. You know, Ronin ninjas with nothing to fucking lose. That's who I want to battle. Ronin ninjas. I don't really want to battle them. It just sounds better than, uh, oh, Rob, yeah, he's still shit-faced on the outskirts of Boston. <laughs> weight gained? Oh, let me tell you about the weight he's gained. <laughs> yeah, no, better that I exist as, as something of legend. As, Whereabouts unknown. Yeah, the, the man with no name could have gone anywhere and done anything. <laughs> as opposed to drinking himself stupid and reading comic books. <laughs> well, Rob, you did that when you were 17. Yeah, well... Now I have a podcast. Technology is awesome. It is awesome. But so what what DiDio has been doing is on his Facebook page, he's been posting essays sort of reminiscing, starting with his earliest days at DC Comics. And I, I guess supposedly he's going to come up to the new 52 and now. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing in reading it is it's it's really easy, particularly these days, you know, with, with the reaction that, serious comic fans have have had to the new 52 and in general we're like oh no this is not working this is not a thing that we really want to yeah but except grayson i love grayson grayson is (laughs) there are individual books that are awesome there was a great issue of constantine we're going to talk about in a little while yeah Uh, there are batman is still good 
Flash has been consistently pretty good uh, through a couple of creative teams. There's some good books, but the whole the DC universe as a whole just doesn't feel as satisfying, at least to me, as it did post crisis up until basically the new Fifty Two. And I think right. a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. So part of the cool thing about reading these short essays is it sort of brings you back in that mind, the the mindset of early 2000s up until about 2010. Right, when they were still willing to like play softball with Marvel. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, well, that's earlier in 2000. (laughs) But so so it's been fun to read with that because, yeah, with the attitude of, oh, Dan DiDio's fucked up DC Comics. Well, there was a long stretch where he was really doing interesting stuff and some didn't work and, and some worked, I think, for, you know, he gets to the point of identity crisis and you and I may be the only two (laughs) <laughs> people, you know, even in the dregs of the comics media who actually like Identity Crisis. But there was some exciting stuff that was going on. Some of it panned out, some of it didn't. So... Do you have some examples of that? Well, yeah, and I'll put links to the actual ones. But but yeah, there's some some stuff here. His first entry, you know, yeah, LinkedIn, which I rarely use, has just informed me that I'm celebrating my 13th anniversary at DC Comics, which honestly completely slipped my mind. Uh, on a cold day like this where I'm trapped in the house reorganizing and cleaning. I got to find a way to make this sound more interesting. Um, I can't can't help but feel a bit nostalgic over my time spent with this great company. Um, So this weekend I'll ask your indulgence as I come across things that have me reminiscing about the last 13 years, and I'll probably recant stories about them. Ooh, stories. Story time with Uncle Dan. Yeah, I, I tend to decant stories. The more I decant, the more fucking stories I tell. I have a drinking problem is what I'm saying. It's <laughs> Not real, you. It's really serious. I get drunk and just yell at strangers. <laughs> I can't help myself. Um. So, yes, uh, in that first year, my first official act. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do this like a narrator from, from a series. Well, no, I was going to say, you know what would make this more interesting? Can you read this like you were Hunter Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to spout off impressions, bad impressions that you think I can do. That one, or, you know, maybe... Okay, all right. Butthead, perhaps. <laughs> all right, one thing at a time. In that first year, my first official act as a DC employee was to cancel the Superboy series, which I was currently writing with my good friend Jimmy Palmiotti. Sales were soft. I felt the need to lead by example. Attacked. I unfortunately had to repeat with the New 52 and OMAC. I tripped on tack, because I don't think that's exactly... <laughs> that's, that's not the word they wanted. Mm. But... My first editorial meeting was at the legendary Julie Schwartz, where he delivered the, my unofficial State of the Union, the every 10 years the DC Universe needs an enema speech. <laughs> really? Is it say that? That's what it says. Every every 10 years, DC needs an enema? This town needs an enema, goddammit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, now we know where... <laughs> anytime we question Dan DiDio's choices, it's because he's decided that the storyline needs an enema. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dan. I'm addicted to enemas. Jesus. <laughs> You people are pigs. Next time we're at San Diego, I'm getting in line and I'm going to ask him his views on colonic irrigation. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> if I'm going to be escorted from a fucking convention floor, I want it to be for something truly epic. <laughs> like attempting to give Dan DiDio colonic irrigation. <laughs> uh, and I received the first of what would be many spirited debates with my soon-to-be good friend Bob Wayne over how to sell DC Comics, where Bob delivered our rallying cry, You give me something to sell, I can sell the shit out of it. At that moment, it was game on. 
This is the worst Hunter Thompson impression ever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but reading this, it, this would it brought me back because this is right around the time I was beginning to get back into superhero comics. Yeah. Because for most of the 90s, yeah, I read pretty much just Vertigo. So ironically, this is making me nostalgic for a time where I was getting back. I was already reading DC Comics. I'm really just... glad you said nostalgic there and not hard. That was I, I was worried for a second. <laughs> it's early yet. Give me some time. <laughs> but yeah, it, I had read through most of the 90s just Vertigo books. So this is, and it, it corresponds actually, you know, as much shit as you want to give M. Night Shyamalan, I had seen Unbreakable, and it was like, you know, I really used to love superhero comics, and now I'm making a little bit of money. I can probably afford more than a couple of books every couple of weeks. Right. So that brought me back in, and I started buying a ton of stuff. But, you know, even in those early days, I wasn't reading a ton of DC books. I was doing a lot more Wildstorm books than DC. Because that, that was the point when Authority was coming right. up and Stormwatch and Planetary. Um, I was reading Grant Morrison's uh, JLA. But also, the, you know, he's talking about, you know, oh, the first thing I did was cancel Superman. This is around the point where they started to dump a lot of those 90s books. So dumping yeah. crap like, you know, jacketed, round glass, douchebag millennial Superman. That was a good move, <laughs> at least as far as I was concerned. This is when Superman was blue, right? It was right around then, yeah. Ooh. Well, <laughs> actually, that Super was... Smurf, save me! <laughs> but it was also at the point where that stuff was beginning to stop. Is that a thing, beginning to stop? Sure. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, there had been stunt after stunt after stunt through most of the 90s. Oh, Superman's dead. Oh, you like that? We're going to cripple Batman. <laughs> uh, no, you like that? Well, Flash uses methamphetamine. <laughs> it's not a thing that happened, but... <laughs> Green Lantern likes it through the glory hole. I mean, they were just trying these. these <laughs> Which Green Lantern, though? Kyle or John? <laughs> well. It's I, Nort, isn't it? Well, Nort's always like the glory hole. Yeah. It, it, it means something very different to him. I bet. It's, it dispenses candy, as far <laughs> as he knows. But <laughs> it's candy awful creamy. You got it, Nort. But, <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, the big stunts that they used to sort of stagger through the 90s were beginning to stop and you know red superman blue superman is one of the last ones i remember now a whole different set of stunts were going to come up through the 2000s right um but in their own way they were probably just as desperate as everything else but at least they sort of felt a little more grounded to me like ted cord taking a bullet in the head that's a stunt yeah is it a stunt on the level of oh, Green Lantern killed everybody? No, but <laughs> true. So, so I mean, yeah, you were reading some books around then. Mm -hmm. Any anything from around that period you remember in particular? Because that's when you and I first started hanging out and reading comics together. Is this? Uh, I think the first serious stunt that I remember was probably around when they were getting a uh, Black Canary and Green Arrow married. Actually, that was probably more mid 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say that's the first one I remember. So before that, the the other stuff didn't really stick. All right, so <coughs> so the big stunts they really wanted you to pay attention to. Yeah, you had no idea they were happening. No, but the the C list. Oh Jesus! All right, we'll just do this for the fans of Green Arrow and Black Canary. <laughs> Those are the ones that drilled through. Yeah, you don't have a future in marketing. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> And be like, wow, there's new shoelaces on Geoforce's boots. Did you hear about this? It's fucking fantastic. They cut Jericho's hair, Rob. 
they cut it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't stop. They should have gone a foot down. <laughs> go right for the neck, fucking Jericho. <laughs> now, whenever Jericho is involved in a stunt, I immediately just start buying more Marvel books. <laughs> well, that's just it. I think at that time I was reading more Marvel, honestly. Yeah. So that, I, I don't think that I was paying attention to the stunts. I was not. I was not the audience at that point. Well, which is fine. Um, all right, so Dan's uh, second entry. I'm not going to read whole things here, but um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> what would he still do? <laughs> yeah, Bob Harris, who was freelance editing with Wildstorm at this time, also offered some welcome advice of the ins and outs of the comics biz and the different editing styles of the different companies. So armed with enough knowledge to be dangerous, I decided to dive in. My first attempt ended in failure. That's what he says. <laughs> My first attempt ended in failure? Yeah, and he, he talks about this is when uh, the, he, he tried to launch Thunder Agents, um, and comic prices were beginning to go up, because right around then it was still like two and a quarter or so. Um, I don't think I'm familiar with Thunder Agents. Did that last very long? It, it did not. What, uh, was it set entirely in like like a men's room? <laughs> that that's that is a, a different kind agents of thunder that's a different kind of thunder agent I'm... i am a large semi-muscular man it works for a lot of things i can take it but <laughs> i'm i'm emotionally 12 <laughs> that's all right <laughs> don't look at it shut your eyes mary and don't look at it no matter what happens <laughs> um the thunder agents has come back two or three times they just did one maybe a couple of years ago I'll it's, take your it's not it. a book that I tried one or two issues. It didn't do a hell of a lot for me, but, um, but yeah, when it comes to the price of comics, Didio has always, that's been one of his major things. Yeah. You know, he's for the last couple of years, you know, holding the line at two ninety nine. So I, apparently that's always been a big deal for him. Cause, uh, as a kid, I struggled over what comics I had to drop when prices were raised from 20 to 25 cents. So Dan's old is what we're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think the first comic I bought was twenty five cents. So yeah, he's got a couple of years on us anyway. Right. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah. What's Constantine? Two ninety nine. Yeah, and Star Wars is like nine dollars. It's uh, five dollars. Yeah, it's five dollars because they've got more fucking post production shit in the back of that book. But we'll we'll talk about both those books in a little while. Um, the let's see. Uh, the the bookstore market wasn't nearly as strong then, and digital comics were about ten years away. I believe then, and still believe now, the long term success and health of this business was in the monthly books. We needed the comic shops to be the monthly and weekly destination for the fans, and our job, and still is, is to have something interesting for them to read every week. Thank God he realizes that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he realizes that. But as I was reading this and thinking about it. Price is not a big deal to me now. Yeah. But in the nineties it was. No. I was in I was in college. And then the first few years after the that early nineties, that was my first few jobs where you get paid shit. Yeah. So my reader drip my readership dropped a lot really because of that. You know, because if you're only making like twenty six grand a year and you know, you've got comics, but you've also got rent and beer and cigarettes and like gas to go to comedy shows. You're only going to buy one or two books a week, and that's true. You no, know, Asriel, Batman, and Young Justice, or Preacher and the Invisibles. That's not much of a choice. Yeah, but I had to make the choice, so he's got a point. But so yeah, then uh, into his his third entry. Um, yeah, first up is how Jim Lee and Batman covered for a series of rookie mistakes. 
because this is right around now he's at the time when hush came out oh i remember this yeah so all right so if hush is one of these stunts i remember this yeah and <laughs> it was definitely a stunt but uh after my first year of dc things reached the point where i was ready to leave and a cheer went up from a certain <laughs> person I, I always liked andadia but uh i wasn't making the impact i hoped and i wasn't sure that i ever could so before moving on, I presented Paul with a list of recommendations on how to approach the line, and I was caught completely off guard. Uh, no, wait, uh, uh, how to approach the line, and imagine my surprise that in return, Paul offered me the executive, the executive editor position. I was caught completely off guard, but as a kid, I always wanted to be Stan Lee. <laughs> and this, now it all begins to make sense. And this was as close as I would ever get. <laughs> so we started shaking things up, to no avail. <laughs> So, but yeah, at the same time, he's saying he was basically saved in the early days being an executive editor because Hush was such a big goddamn deal. Hmm. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so around the same time, Jeff Johns and I were bonding over Flash. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I should do the Beavis and This butt. is really where you should do the butthead. <laughs> hey, Jeff. <laughs> do you like the Flash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. It was during a convention in 2002 that Jeff laid out his idea for Teen Titans and Green Lantern. I think it was a three-way. Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what it says. I couldn't be more excited, and yet both were met with skepticism from inside the company. At the time, it was a common practice to rent to rest the character for an extended period of time before returning with a new series. I need rest. <laughs> uh, but we didn't want to wait. We convinced Paul to roll the dice, and immediately the cancellation follow the cancellations. This is hard. <laughs> of Young Justice and Titans with two new series. <laughs> the only reason this voice works is because I picture Jeff Johns and Dan Dio like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> hey, Dan. I want to bring back Barry Allen. Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> I like the Silver Age. Oh, yeah. Silver Age is cool. <laughs> Well, he likes the Silver Age because then he can use a uh, Power Girl who's got the the boob window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but looking back on that period without the stupid fucking voices, it, it really is easy to forget now because it utterly sucks. But Hush really was an exciting thing when it was coming out. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was Jim Lee on a monthly book for the first time in like two years. Yep. Um, And the first two thirds were really kind of a half-decent mystery of who was doing this to Batman that brought in pretty much every major member of his rogues gallery in just a few issues, and it was all of them drawn by Jim Lee. Right. So, of course, then we get to Jason Todd being back from the dead and then finding out the bad guy is just this dink with unresolved playground jealousy issues, but... Yeah, the Jason Todd thing is about where you started to go ballistic. <laughs> well, and and I know that Jason was just Clayface pretending to be Jason Todd to fuck with Batman, but it, it was like the trial balloon <laughs> to, to see if people would accept it. To, so, yeah. when, so when Judd Winnick actually brought him back during his run, you know, it's a, uh, is it okay? That's it, it, It's <laughs> like someone just snaking a sneak finger in your ass to see if you'll twitch before they give you the full Southern trespass. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and, and I don't know if people like threw that issue of Batman where they brought Jason back and you know shrieked bad touch. Show, show me on the trade where the bad man touched you. <laughs> <laughs> I was writing the two dollars I spent <laughs> telephone voting to kill Jason Todd back in the eighties. And 
even if you if you <laughs> let's say everybody was excited about Hush at the time. Every you can say, oh no, I everybody was. And but even if you want to discount that and say, oh, that wasn't a thing. I DC really was hitting because if you remember the Vertigo end, two thousand two, that's when Fables and Why the Last Man hit. Right. So we're talking about at least with Batman, they're trying something cool and interesting, and it's really the last gasp of the golden age of Vertigo happening right there. Right. So it was kind of exciting to be reading comics at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I honestly was not hugely familiar with Jim Lee before because <laughs> I, I came into some of this a little bit later. Um, Were you in a coma, say 1987 through 1990? I didn't read a lot of Wildstorm, and that was where he was doing a bunch of his oh, work. Oh, no. In the late 80s, it was his X-Men is still the best-selling comic of all time. It's like four different covers of like a million and a half sold on each one. I will take your word for it. I, uh... I didn't buy it either. <laughs> because, yeah, that was... You know, as somebody older, the the new art style that Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld started was exciting in about 87, 88. But then everybody started to do it and a certain amount of fatigue, at least for me being, you know, somewhat older had already started to set in by 90 and I've never been a big X-Men fan. So that book hit and I think half the free world thought, Oh, we're all going to be rich. Whereas I was just like, I don't, it looks like, Somebody trying to be Todd McFarlane, and I don't care about the X-Men. Well, and then you would not be buying it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm one of the few people who never bought it and has never had it. Yeah, so, I mean, I I wasn't that familiar somehow, because apparently I was trapped under something heavy and a rock. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, so for me, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool looking art. <laughs> Well, it's and as time went on, Jim Lee, in my mind, distinguished himself as okay. This is not a knockoff of McFarlane. It's similar fine line style up to a point. Yeah, but it's not really the same thing at all. Whereas Liefeld originally was, I'm Todd McFarlane. No, I'm Jim Lee. No, I'm Mark Silvestri, who wants to be Jim Lee. And pouches, so, I got pouches. Yeah, so. So Lee kind of came through that with me, but at the time, you know, the X-Men book, yeah, it was one of the few. It's like, I'm not going into chromium. Fuck you. I don't need chromium. <laughs> so, but, so yeah, it's, I remember it being an exciting time, but, all right, so let's get to Dan's fourth entry. Uh, let's see. He talks about working with Steve Gerber. Okay. Yeah, you know, These days, talking about working with Steve Gerber, that's sort of an automatic give me some cred. Right, right. But uh, let's see. We uh, we showed our commitment to diversify with the introduction of the new Manhunter and Firethorn, while uh, Jeff and Ethan Van Skyver reignited a franchise with Hal Jordan's return as Green Lantern. Stephanie Brown began her short-lived run as Robin as the Bat Team ramped up to war games. I remember that. Yeah. I'm not doing this voice anymore. It's starting that's, to hurt my okay. throat. Um. Uh, Jim Lee moved off Batman and over to Superman with Brian Azzarello, and today they gave him uh, together they gave him a brooding intensity that would challenge the Dark Knight. <laughs> now that just sucked. That's, yeah, <laughs> uh, I bought the first couple issues of that, and uh, I've said more than once on this show, Brian Azzarello writes a great crime comic book, and when it comes to superheroes, he shouldn't be allowed to write anything longer than his own name. Yeah, it's his tone 
and Lee's art was fine, but the tone just didn't work with Superman, and it was weird coming off the uh, hush sort of ended like shit, and <laughs> uh, this is sort of starting like shit. Yeah, but um, so yeah, what else? But he also talks about Superman Batman coming out, which was really interesting to start with, where they brought Supergirl back, which was kind of cool at the yeah. time. Uh, when a, we, uh, we had an expression, if printing a story didn't make you a little nervous, you weren't trying hard enough and with identity crisis, we were more than a little nervous and they should have been, cause again, <laughs> we may be the only two people anywhere in the comics press <laughs> who are like, no, nah, I kind of like that book. Um, we had a story that fit very nicely into DC continuity, but in doing so it ripped the readers out of their comfort zone with the characters. A lot has been said about these series, but there's no denying its impact. Yeah, you killed a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, true. Most of them nobody cared about, but... Um, Cold the herd. Yeah, but... I mean, that, that's the fact of the matter. This was an exciting time to be reading DC Comics. I mean, I'd still have issues with bringing Hal Jordan back from the dead. Yeah. Uh, I think he's fine, and I think Green Lantern Rebirth was not a bad way to do it. But what DC did with Hal Jordan after Crisis was one of the ballsiest things that they did. You know, right along with just flat out chucking Barry Allen and going with Wally West as the Flash. Yeah. You know, they they made Hal flawed, you know, older with a potential drinking problem, and he was just weaker, and it you know led to his ultimate weakness of willpower when he became Paralyze. Parallax. Yeah. And that was more interesting than Hal Jordan really had ever been. He was a space cop. Yeah. You know, it took Green Arrow constantly calling him like a half-fascist rules lawyer to, <laughs> to get his book out of the 70s. Right. So, yeah, to then back that off and it's just, you know, okay, he's Green Lantern again. That's fine, but Hal Jordan has just never been that interesting to me. And the most interesting shit they did with him was to fuck him up <laughs> and have him go out a chump. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, now, that said, is any major comic company going to let one of their primary properties go out a villain forever? No. Probably not. <laughs> but... Yeah, it was pretty interesting at the time. So to back that off, it was, uh, okay, it's bold. Yeah. And it was interesting comics. And I'm not sure, to this day, I'm not sure I wouldn't rather just have Kyle Rayner be Green Lantern. Or yeah. Guy Gardner or Jon Stewart or almost fucking anybody. Right. But, yeah, the rest of the stuff, yeah, when Manhunter was out, that was a really good book. Yeah. No, that was interesting. It was well-written. I enjoyed Manhunter. Um, the same thing with Firestorm. And Firestorm is not an easy thing to do well. Firestorm's had like four fucking stories and five different versions <laughs> of the goddamn character since 1978. It's true. You know, as much as I enjoy the character, some have worked and some have not. New 52 reboot where, no, it turns out he's the Hulk for some <laughs> fucking reason. But, and War Games, it probably doesn't hold up as well as I remember, but I remember being really psyched for that when it was coming out. I, I enjoyed that one, actually. I mean, because, yeah, that was the storyline where uh, Stephanie decided she was going to implement the Matches Malone yeah. takeover of the mobs without telling Batman, <laughs> so Matches Malone never fucking showed up. Yeah. And she got herself killed. Now, now granted, you're going to argue, and you're probably right, that that fridging of Stephanie Brown was a fridging and that has haunted Dan DiDio at every fucking convention he's gone through since 2006. Well, you know, she had a rabid fan base. I I was not among them. Um, I do not continue to be among them. But I think that's also... That's the beginnings of, you know, me beginning to read things and think, you know, this character... I, I am not the demographic for this character. This is... <laughs> yeah. You're, you're being whiny and awful and, and you should stop. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. It, I was always okay with whacking her because I sort of took it on faith and based on these things that DiDio has written over the last week or so, he's clearly acknowledging she was never supposed to be a long-term character. She right. was a, a means to an end to move Batman into a certain position. And I, I sort of understood that and took it on faith. At the same time, the character clearly struck a nerve with a lot of people. You can't really sit there and argue no. No, just because she was supposed to be this means that that's all she can ever be and just dump her in the dirt. Well, I mean, that's that's that weird line between, you know, what fans feel that they are entitled to demand versus what the creators want to tell us their story. Yeah. And eventually, certainly, Stephanie came back and was part of that really good run of Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl and is back again in Batman Eternal. Yep. They will all come back. Enough, if enough people scream long enough at comic conventions, <laughs> they'll bring them back. And so I'm, <laughs> this year at San Diego, I'm going dressed as Nort. <laughs> and it's, why are you... Why is there no uh, diversity in idiot characters? You need to hire more idiots as writers. <laughs> Damn it, Jeff. No, we don't. <laughs> Quit smiling, you idiot. You're supposed to be a professional. <laughs> I can't help myself. Uh, so, I mean, would, do, do you have any particular memories of So, this would have been mid 2000s. Is there anything you remember being psyched about? Or? I like the Brew Baker Catwoman run. That was, that was good. Yeah, that started out a, a little bit earlier, but that was going strong right around then. Yeah. I mean, where where this period was tricky for me thinking about it was this was right around the time where it seemed like there was a high-level DC editorial decision to really wipe out all the vestiges of Justice League International. Yeah. And I mentioned a little earlier that, you know, shooting Ted Cord in the head is a stunt, same as anything else. And it was definitely a stunt, you know, to lead up to... this is Actually, this is probably a little bit after this, because that was lead into Infinite Crisis. I want to say... Uh... Around probably 2000, mid-2000s, that was the Super Buddies book, right? Uh, would have been, yeah. There were a couple of them. Uh, I can't believe it's not the Justice League, and there was one other. But yeah, basically it was, yeah, quick little reunions of Justice League International. And, you know, the, those books were brilliant. Oh, and... they were awesome. <laughs> yeah, they were a lot of fun. Um, Where's... Chronologically, where's the point where Wonder Woman ends up killing Maxwell Lord? That was probably either that was during or right before or after Infinite Crisis. Okay. So that was yeah, yet another thing of okay, we've gotten rid of Ted Cord, we've gotten rid of uh Max Maxwell Lord. Yeah. I'm trying to think what other characters got. Uh the Ice was sent back to hell yeah. in one of those Justice League books. The primary difference between that and uh, the murder of Maxwell Lord or Ted Cord, but there was more goddamn heart yeah. in sending Tora back to hell. Oh, that made me cry. That issue made me cry. Yeah, we, we've talked about th <laughs> that scene before on this show, and if you have not read that, you should definitely go find it. All the feels. Yeah, it, <laughs> it humanizes Guy Gardner in a way you've never, ever seen before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just... Felt like a concerted effort to get rid of Justice League International. And I realize its time had passed and has passed. But 
I love that book. I'm I'm sitting here looking. I've got all the hardcover collections, you know, and going through my comic collection to try to clear this room out to turn it into a studio. I've got the first three years worth of those issues. I love Justice League International. Yeah. So I, I think for me, what I I enjoyed about the books through there were you know, getting to know those characters and the relationship between um, Beetle and Booster. But then when it when it became about Booster going through his time travel so that he could go back and try to save Ted, <laughs> that was also compelling. Oh yeah, that was a great series. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that part of that series was great, and it that series as a whole made Booster Gold relevant in a way that he hadn't been since you know the mid nineteen eighties. Right. So I mean that was one good thing that came out of it, but there's a real sense of oh, we're just gonna chuck all this and just if start not, over. If not pretend it didn't happen, just push real hard to make sure it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Make sure it it can't ever happen again. There were a few things like that going on there where it seemed like Dan DeDio had a hard-on to get rid of, you know, like Nightwing. It was always he was going to kill Nightwing. <laughs> the the number of bad things that have happened to Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, so, so while there was, for me, a lot of exciting stuff going on in the, the mid-2000s, and not everybody has that same opinion. You know, like I said, I, I reread Infinite Crisis, not Infinite Crisis, Identity Crisis, every year or so, and it's, I get why people don't like it. But it yeah. works really well for me. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a cliched term, but when they say you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, you know, there were some things that worked out really well. There were some things that didn't work very well. I suppose it's possible that people will look back on the new Fifty Two and have the same thoughts. You know, oh, I liked this, but I didn't like this. Yeah, I keep trying to tell myself of the new Fifty Two. At crisis, you know, crisis happened. I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. There had to have been 30, 40 year old readers who are like, how can you do this? I'll never read it again. You're ruining the DC universe. So, I'd, whereas that was my jam. Right. It's like, all right, it's all brand new for me. And I was at the perfect age for it. So I try to keep telling myself that I'm just the old douchebag. And there's a generation of readers who are really digging this stuff. Yeah. Maybe that'll turn out to be the case. The other good news from this stuff that that Dio has written is uh, we know that in about seven years, uh, there will be some uh, colonic cleansing of the DC universe. Irrigation. One way or the the colonic <laughs> irrigation. God damn it. You're an imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, th this won't last forever. Uh, necessarily any more than anything else. will. and with convergence coming up, we'll see what happens with that. But it just, his reminiscing on his own terms on his website, my stupid fucking voices aside, it was it just it was kind of a nice walk down memory lane for when it felt like DC was taking chances, but not earth shattering. Let's chuck the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> let's reboot everything kind of chances. So so if if they do a full on um, in their words, enema every 10 years, <laughs> will convergence be maybe just a dose of Metamucil? Is it? <laughs> I'm trying to get a sense of you know just how much of a purge we might get from convergence. You're you're terrifying me right now. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I, I am still really interested to read convergence and see what if anything actually comes out of it. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll find out. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> oh, you love that board so much. I do, <laughs> and that's a sad thing when uh. 
when we talked to, to Nick and Daniel, they were all excited because they thought we'd have the soundboard set up for them. And technologically, oh, we could do it, but we need to get one or two more things. Right now we have the choice basically of, oh, we can talk with people on Skype or we can... Or we can have sound effects. Or we can have stupid sound effects. <laughs> so for once I decided, no, why don't we do something substantive about a new book that's coming out and have an actual conversation with some people about it. Let's focus on the people. Yes. So, so yeah, you want to move into the interview segment? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, again, the the book is called uh, Holy Fuck, and uh, it has a theme song, believe it, it or not, which we will use to segue into that interview segment, because frankly, we have to cut it in later on, so, <laughs> but, uh, I'm trying to listen to the lyrics as we go along. Did that say checking out dudes he wants to bang? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Either way, the refrain is, in fact, holy fuck. Well, that's important. Because <laughs> it's the name of the book. Yes. And I believe this version is by uh, the artist Daniel Aruda Massa. So, why don't we back off and let the nice song play, and we'll come back with the interview at the end of it in about a minute. Okay. All right. I totally said, dude, he wants to bang. Now that we have the actual studio, such as this thing is set up and running. Um, so, yeah, let's just uh, move into it. Uh, guest today, we've got uh, Nick Marino and uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel, uh, I'll never be able to Aruda troll Massa. Aruda Massa. <laughs> Daniel, you My say perfect, it. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Daniel Aruda Massa. The, the perfect Dutch, Portuguese, <laughs> Boston, American pronunciation. <laughs> and they are the uh, writers and artists, co-collaborators, co-creators of... And that's the first thing I got to go go with. W w what do we call this book? Is it just Holy Fuck? Is it Holy Asterisk? Holy Fisk? What's the... it On paper, it is Holy F Asterisk Uck. What, what is the pronunciation when you go to your local comic store where they know you by name and ask you not to scream your title at the paying customers? Is it just Holy Fuck? Well, Frank, Susan, first off, I'm so happy to be here today. Okay. <laughs> and Thank you, um, Beavis Butthead. It's damn good talking to you. <laughs> and I'd like to call it... Um, yes. Daniel, what, what do we call it? Uh, that book I've been working on for a while. The, the, the magnum opus? Yeah. yeah. No, you could just call it Holy Fuck. I don't... Holy Fuck. The asterisk yeah. is there... That we thought that the title was going to be a tough sell to any publisher, so we're like, all right, we'll censor it so that it's like, you know, it's not too much of a tough sell. 
But yep. to us, we've always pronounced it the same as if it wasn't now, censored. For us, for us, it's always been holy fuck. But <laughs> for us, it's always also been like we just couldn't find the title we were really happy with. So we were like, we'll just pitch it as holy fuck. <laughs> and, it kind of, and it just stuck because it's awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, it was kind of like, will anybody accept this book as holy fuck? And then when they did, we're like, well, we might as well just keep it. It's not like, <laughs> oh, why not? If you can get them to buy holy fuck, yeah, yeah you've done a sales job, sir. <laughs> so, so how did that conversation go when you pitched it to Action Labs? Did you say, so we have this book, we call it holy fuck. How, how did that play you know, out? <laughs> it was so easy. It was like the easiest thing I've ever done. I mean, we we sent it to every publisher you can think of, with the exception of ones who won't publish creator-owned material. And what DC action. didn't want a piece of holy fuck. <laughs> you know, we were so close with Vertigo, but. <laughs> Yeah, we, we were going to call it New Gods, Holy Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But anyway. But uh, but yeah, we sent them an email. They just have a general pitch email. And like three months later, they emailed us back and they're like, yeah, we'd like to publish this. <laughs> that was it. Awesome. And we were like, okay. I mean, obviously there was more to it after that, you know, contracts, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, whining and dining on their fabulous Action Lab yacht. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. It was, but the pitch process really, it, the weirdest thing with this book is for the most part, we've been like, okay, this is what we want to do. And even if it was preposterous and we never thought anybody would go with it, we just said it anyway. And it's always been like, yeah, that's fine. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So before we, you know, we'll get back to the, uh, the pitch process and it's still that's baffling to me that you hear all these stories of how'd you break into comics well i went to every comic convention i could find and you know i, I sucked every dick that came through the glory hole just in case it was uh, bob harris and that <laughs> i sent him an email and they loved it that's awesome no i mean i did that other stuff too i yeah, just did yeah, that we were we were completely ready to suck man nipples <laughs> <laughs> man nipples nice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about the, the book itself, because uh, the first couple issues are out on Comixology right now, but they hit uh, comic stores in print uh, this coming Wednesday, right? So yeah. not, not too many people have seen it yet. You know, in 30 seconds or 10 minutes, it doesn't matter. We don't have a time limit. You know, describe the book. Sell it to me. D Daniel, do you want to do this? Uh, you're the words guy. I'm the pictures guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I don't want to put you out, dude. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Just give me a minute. That's all right. Go through your process. Just, to... just centering myself alone. Yeah, Hold on. Just gonna, I'm just going to do a line real quick. Oh, God. I knew Focus we should have done this. In per I knew we should have done this interview in person. God damn it. <laughs> you guys are drunk, right? Because that's kind of your MO. Uh, right? Already, right. yes. <laughs> there, there is a, a little bit of Irish in this Diet Coke I'm drinking. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I'm drinking a Heidi. <laughs> Very nice. Good job. Um, here's, here's what holy fuck's about. There's a nun named Maria, which, you know, I'm kicking myself because we made this as a graphic novel. And I, I didn't realize it until it was up on Comixology that we forgot to say her name in the first issue. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Because it was supposed to be read as one big chunk. And, like, you know, I wish I could go back and change that. That's the one thing that I would change. Anyway, point is, there's this nun named Maria. I, you know, it's not totally clear what's been going on with her lately. But we do know this. She's having some dreams. And these dreams have clued her in to some weird shit that's going on. And this requires her, in her mind, to find Jesus and Satan. She hunts down Jesus. She hunts down Satan. And she tells them about what she knows 
which is that there is a resurgence from the mythological gods who are desperate to be worshipped again. And these gods, how can I say this correctly? They, their plan was this. We want humans to worship us, so we're going to use the tools of the humans to manipulate the humans into worshipping us again, basically by starting their own, I don't know, nuclear apocalypse. So then it's like they start it, then they save the humans, then the humans are like, oh my God, you saved us. Maria is not cool with this, so she recruits Jesus and Satan to help her put a stop to it. And that's basically the plot of Holy Fuck. Okay, so where did this idea come from? Because Nick, I've looked at your website and I've I've seen some of your some of the stuff you've you've done up until now. Like Super Haters was a superhero satire, kinda. And Time Log was a funny time travel story. Now, Stick Cats was just fucking fun, but there's nothing there screaming. Uh, <laughs> I want to do a a. a a religious satire with a huge amount of value. So where did just, where did the idea come from? I, you know, I don't remember exactly, but, uh, I had this idea, like, what if Hollywood did a sequel to the Bible? Like how would they fuck it up? Real bad? <laughs> Michael Bay would get it dead right. And you fucking know it. <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of, this was the idea. It was like, what if like, you know, Michael Bay got this. And then what if it just like, you know, I don't know sort of just kept getting worse and worse, like the more that it got developed. And they're like, well, we got to have tits. We got to have guns. We got to have, you know, there's got to be like a team up between oh, tons of explosions. Yeah, we didn't have any helicopters in this book. That's a big omission, probably. <laughs> I was hoping for but, that in later issues, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry to... Spoiler alert. <laughs> no helicopters. You definitely got the tits part right. I realized that's why I didn't notice you didn't use uh, Sister Maria's name with with her rack. I didn't even notice she had a head, let alone a name. But <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, we'll get to that later. But anyway, <laughs> um, I was like, I thought that'd be a really cool idea. You know, if if it was kind of like this Bible sequel that spun out of control. And and what do they do in these sequels? It's like you know, we got to team up the hero with like their arch nemesis from the first one. And, and you know, if you really are a theologian, you'll know that Satan is, isn't really the arch nemesis in the Bible or anything, but that's what people think he is for the most part. So it was kind of like, what if it was this funny Jesus Satan team up story? And then it changed a lot. Things evolved quite a bit, but it was going to be called the Bible too. And that's where it began. <laughs> All right. So Daniel, how did you get involved in this? Cause you're in, uh, Denmark, right? I'm going. No. Look, I'm that's, an American. So I'm an American. I'm... There is America and other. So don't be offended. Uh, I just. Uh, no, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, no, I'm from Holland. Holland, the Netherlands. Okay. <laughs> is that yeah, where? This took me a long time to figure out. Okay, it's the same place, but not exactly. So Holland and the Netherlands. It's like it's really it's very interesting. I, I'm not even. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna explain this shit. <laughs> Just look. All I need to know is: is that where the weed's legal? Not exactly, but yes, <laughs> close enough. Rob, it's like, a magical place called Amsterdam. Okay, someday yeah. you might go there. That's a myth. Yeah. There's no such place. Oh, there is. I've been there. <laughs> but, With hookers I, and blackjack. I, I, could be, I could be legally smoking a doobie right now. <laughs> I could if I just had a medical condition here in Massachusetts. Boredom. I don't, need, I don't even need a medical condition. Well, I have one. It's called boredom. I'm bored a lot. Does that help? But, <laughs> here but, in Holland, it does. <laughs> but 
either way, Nick, you're in California, so this is definitely not a, uh, we met at the bar and we bonded over the idea of Jesus with a shotgun with, like, penance written on one barrel and judgment written on the other. So so how did you get that involved? That was a good idea. We should do that. <laughs> you Usually heard it. my bar, bar meetings with guys end slightly different. <laughs> Some shots are fired, but different kinds? Is that what we're yeah. saying? <laughs> So, yeah, no, D Daniel, he was running a, um, a, a an insurance slash inheritance fraud scam thing. And he emailed me, you know, um, I, I have $3 million in your name. <laughs> I'm also a pr prince from Uganda. Yeah, I was going to say, which, right. which one of us is the Nigerian prince in this story? Okay. Oh, that's me. That's me. No, actually, I used to do a lot of podcasting. I uh, I had a show I that I did. I to tell this story. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell the story. <laughs> yeah, God damn it, Nick. Let him get a word in edgewise yeah. for fuck's Jesus. sake. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Don't just let him scream man nipples. He's more than that. <laughs> I'm more man than a nipple. I'm more than a nipple. Not much more. But I'm more. <clears throat> no, uh, Nick used to run this uh, whole podcast empire. And I listened to most of the podcasts, and on one of his podcasts, he mentioned that he has th had this idea for a sequel to the Bible. And I was like, in the comments, I was like, I'll try it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, pretty, the, that's, that's the genesis of our story. So the story yeah, idea, story. So, so let me get this straight. Someone did a rail, had the idea, someone put... Uh, a comment on a website and then there was an email and now you're in comics. This is the greatest yeah. origin story in comics for Christ's <laughs> sake. Well, you know what the thing is though? Like I think the idea of breaking in is, is a myth. If you, to be, to be sort of punny here, if you don't mind me saying, cause, uh, you know, I've been knocking on the door for a long time. It just takes a while to get good at shit. And it takes a while for somebody to say yes. So it's not like the first, this isn't, you know, it's not my first time at the rodeo, but sure. it is my first time being on the list of people competing at the rodeo. And I also have a new clown wig. So <laughs> that, and yeah. that's important. I'm, I've been told that's very important to have good, you know, hair wear. Well, sometimes that's all you can. Sometimes that's all you can see through the glory hole. So it really has to stand up. Right. So, so you need a wig and a merkin. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Clown merkins. <laughs> I know how I'm making a million dollars. Yeah, that's a business right yeah. there. I so, might, if you guys find out that I've gotten into the clown working business, just please don't sue me. <laughs> that's all right. We just want to, we just want a percentage off the top. We're very simple people here. So, all right. So with you guys so far apart, you know, Daniel, you're in Narnia. And uh, <laughs> what, is, what is the collaboration process you know, like? How are you guys? Because just to, just to set up this interview, Daniel, you're like 74 hours ahead of us. And Nick, you're like 19 behind. So just to find time right. where we could all talk, well, you know, took a little finagling. So, so how do you guys collaborate on this, both you know, technically and just being able to talk to each other? And what's the sort of division of labor? Is it a straight Nick writes it, you draw it? Is there back and forth? Is there Marvel method of half plotting and cocaine sent through FedEx? Give me a sense of how you guys work together to put this thing together. Well, I like to do things Stan Lee style where I don't really do anything and then I take <laughs> the credit when it's done. It's historically worked out. So, yeah, and no, it has. I think there's a big I precedent for it. I can't blame you. So. I really can't blame you. 
<laughs> he'll be immortalized about 30 to 40 years after his death. He'll get credit occasionally on some of the things that he's done. And it'll be great for both of us. And I will have, like, all grumpy pictures everywhere. <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> Daniel's uh, family will get a percentage of, holy fuck, the giant movie. <laughs> Right, they'll be. I mean, they'll lose it all in legal fees, but they will get a percentage. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, it's. I mean, it's a lot more simple than you'd think. This whole thing is a lot more simple, I think, than it than most things are. Like, it's just the internet. You know, we can Skype like this very easily if we need to talk, which we don't talk that often. Maybe once every few months, but mostly it's done through email, and we use um, uh, Google a lot, like Google Drive mm. and Docs and file sharing and for action lab they use dropbox so when we're you know sharing our files with them we just upload everything to dropbox it's like it's pretty fucking sweet man it's digital you know it's making it happen the biggest difference between us and a lot of people that work like this is um for most people that sent their shit over to europe because we in europe don't want as much money as you in the u.s we are awful um, like that. We're we're okay with living under a bridge. Um, <laughs> no, it's like um, mostly they just send the script, but me and Nick, we actually sat together. I was like expecting just to get a script, but Nick was like, maybe let's talk about this first and see what we can yeah. come up with together. Collaboration can't work that way if people actually work together. That's stupid, and you were stupid for trying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, my philosophy is pretty simple, especially doing web comics for a long time and, and working with people where none of us are making money. The way I look at it is like this. I want to be a part of something that whoever's drawing it is really excited to draw. Like, I want that enthusiasm to be just at the top level. And to me, that means both working together to plot something that we're both excited about. And, and to me, it also means listening to that artist and finding out, okay, if I write this in there, is that something they're going to just fucking knock it out of the park drawing? Because that's what they want to put down on the page. So when Daniel left that comment on, on my podcast, you know, blog post, and he was like, yeah, I'll draw it. I was like, I never thought anybody would work on this. That was the whole thing when I was talking about it on the podcast in the first places. I was like, nobody's going to want to draw this book. Like it's either too incendiary or they think it's too stupid. <laughs> and he said yes. And so I emailed him and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, here's kind of what I'm thinking. And I think Daniel was the one who was like, well, let's just try out a few pages. And I was like, that's a good idea. Let's give it a shot. I'll, you know, I'll just kind of write this basic idea I had for the opening in mind. And I sent it over to him and he was like, yeah, I like it. And I was like, well, I like his art. You know, this is really cool. And then after these pages went well, uh, we were like, well, uh, what next? And I was like, I'd like to plot it with you because I have a basic idea for where I want this to go. And I could sit down and write the whole thing out. But I think it'll be stronger if both of us are really invested into where this plot's going. So we did a Skype call like this and we had a great time and we plotted shit out loosely. And I don't know, it's it just kind of went from there. All right, so this really was a full-on collaboration of the, the overall plot and story came from both of you. Does, yeah. Yes. Does that include like, the Does that include the character designs? Because I just want to talk about a couple of them. Um, first of all, well, and let me start with, you know, I would have been hooked into this book anyway. I am a sucker for 
sometimes the big title. If I saw Holy Fuck on the stands, I, I'm I'm picking it up. I, I've picked up Battle Pope and Loaded Christ and Zombie mm. Jesus, and so you had me from the word go. You're going to hell. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's because of the whole clown merkin thing. It's got nothing to do with us. Yeah, that's just icing. Yeah. So Rob just loves Jesus. <laughs> the, he sure does. <laughs> I love Jesus, and I like to picture him in a clown merkin. That's just my personal way. But I'm I'm liking where this is going. <laughs> You're sleeping in the I car. might I might Photoshop this while we're talking. Go on. <laughs> I, I could slow down if if you need you know a minute to. I'm not going to offer to fluff, but um, so but no, my my point. I, I would have picked this book up anyway and I, I would have picked it up and whenever i pick them up i don't expect a whole hell of a lot it's like okay big title it's gonna be eh, you know it might be some fun but this one really grabbed me for a few reasons and one of them was the the character design now whose general idea was jesus because i can totally buy into a returned angry jesus with a giant cross tattoo just because you know rap, I, I keep picturing rappers with a gun tattoo so it's like, yeah, why not advertise you're such a bad motherfucker you survived crucifixion? <laughs> I, half, I half expected to see a 13 and a half tattoo, 12 high priests, one pilot, half a chance. So, so I mean, so the, the that's general... All, that's all Daniel. That's him, man. I'm like, I'm not like a, I'm not the type of writer where I'm like, you got to draw it exactly like this. You know, I'm like, dude, just draw what you like. Like, it'll be good. I'm not worried yeah. about it. He gave me like a lot of freedom in this. Like what in like the second email we shared together, I all already like sent him one of my initial s sketches of like, I think Jesus should look like this. And Jesus has changed from them, but not, not that much. And it's no. it just also just the general, you know, it, Jesus on a Harley. It screamed Lorenzo Lamas on late <laughs> night TV. It's just, yeah, all right, I get where you're going with this. This is working for me. Yeah, Daniel just got it, man. You know, like he just he understood that it was supposed to be like a B, an action. B, how do you say action B movie? B action movie. That's tough movie. to say. <laughs> Didn't yeah, Jerry like, Seinfeld like, like, do like, that? It sucked. <laughs> like an eighties and nineties action movie yeah. style parody. He knew that's like that was the angle I was going for. He felt it. You know, a little bit of exploitation films, some little seventies influence in there too, and. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just got it. We both vibed on the same idea, just collecting. Um, you know, there was synergy. You know what I'm saying? Oh, in a corporate <laughs> sense. <laughs> so Red Dawn with Jesus. Yeah. Red Dawn with Jesus. There, there's the title of uh, part three. Um, <laughs> so, so Daniel, was it was it also you who did the the Satan design? Because I fucking love the design of Satan in this book. And it's thank you. Yeah, that well, was that was mostly me. Yeah. Uh, That's the most lady. That was like all you. Well, it's, uh, I, I sent. Yep. Whatever. I, Ask your question. <laughs> well, it's, no. I was as I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, your first thing is, you know, boy, wouldn't Satan be more jacked than this? But Satan oh, doesn't I, tempt anybody by being a jacked giant yeah. cloven hoof. Yeah, unless you're a 14 year old Aussie fan with a lot of time trying to play <laughs> records backwards. You know, at, at of, first for me, I my first Satan sketches were like I wanted to do like 50 cents. But with horns. <laughs> nice. For some reason, that just didn't work out. And so I, I kept, we were like talking about maybe Jesus, uh, Satan can just change into women and he can be whatever the fuck he wants. So then I was like, you know who I would think would be funny to be casted in a movie as Satan? And then I took it from there and I was like, I'm going to draw him as David Cross. 
<laughs> oh shit, that is who he looks like. Jesus. <laughs> no, I just yeah. Now that you mentioned it, that's that's the see. I was just thinking general accountant, which again made sense to me yeah. because you know, you're not tempted by the dude; it's by what he can bring you. And you know who else can show you the account of look of everything like an accountant. You know, if a giant rip mother, if 50 Cent with horns tried to sell you something, would you fucking buy it if it wasn't heroin? No. Yeah, but a little accountant with little wings, you know, his little wings aside, you know, I could probably take him one on one. I don't think he'd fuck with me. It it was a really smart design for me just in that. Yeah, I can see Satan actually being yeah. that, just an unassuming little gork. <laughs> and, I, and I thought like this way, he's like the uh, direct opposite of Jesus. Yeah, which... But- which also makes it like way better and makes the end of the first issue way awesomer. Well, and well, that is one question because you know we it is just the first issue coming out and and that's all that we've seen so far. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of of the ending. Um, is but- it, I don't know if it's a problem now though. What do you think, Daniel? Now the issue is about to be out. I, I don't. I don't fucking know. You. <laughs> I, I, I think. I think I it's think okay to talk about most. Like half of the people that would ever pick the issue up already know. Right, well, uh, l- let's just say that uh, Jesus and Satan uh, have a a healthy relationship. Yes. There's, there's a yeah. It, it closes with Jesus and Satan kissing, which is fucking hysterical. Um, uh, I am willing to accept at this point just a flat out basic. Yeah, they're they're clearly opposites and opposite opposites attract. Uh, if if people buy into the first issue and want to keep going, is there going to be more of a story behind that? I mean, I'm okay if there's not, because Jesus said, "Love thy neighbor." After all, but <laughs> uh, what a perv he was. So, <laughs> I think that the, I think the best way to describe it is that there there are there is an allusion to a past between them. Not an illusion like magic, but like a literary illusion. Illusion with an A. Yes. Yes. A as an ass. And <laughs> I went to college. But I'm told but I went I, to college. I can't say a lot about this, really, in some ways, because I mean, I, I think the okay, let me, the easiest way to say it is that holy fuck might not give you the answers you want, but that doesn't mean that you won't get the answers. That's deep. <laughs> so, but will it save my soul? That's really all I'm looking for. <laughs> Since when? Will it? Will it? <laughs> um, I mean, if you're if you're worried about being damned, I mean, that's again oh, the clown merkin thing. It's a little too late. Yeah, so. uh, I'm not worried about it. I came to terms with. By it the a way, long my picture's almost done. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, send that over as soon as you can, please. Yeah, I'm work. I'm working on it. So. Um, so yeah, and this, while there's a lot of time jumping in this first issue, it it opens almost like in, in media res, you know, we've got sister Maria, she's looking for Jesus, um, (laughs) who's, he's in a karaoke bar and either he's enjoying a substance or he may just really enjoy the taste of heated Pyrex. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, are, are we going to get? Any kind of origin story uh, of where he's been since, say, 33 AD to lead him up to room 666 in the karaoke bar? Or or does it matter? Uh, on one hand, I want to say it doesn't matter, but it's also you've made a story here where I'm, I'm kind of curious about where some of the gaps are. And I know you did the little one-shots um, 
of sort of filling in some of his history and I'll include links to yeah. those in the show notes. But is there anything more expansive about what he's been doing that we're coming up with or are you really embracing the nope, it's a sequel and you know as much as you need to and we will uh, blow shit up real good. I like to believe he was healing from the wounds of his breakup with Satan. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, look, okay, so here's what it is. One, it doesn't matter. And two, yes, you will find out some things. We did this series of promotional webcomics called uh, Holy Fuck Origins that we released on our Tumblr. And they just show you what he's been doing for the past two millennia. And it doesn't necessarily show you exactly how he ended up in that particular, I don't know what they're called. They're not called karaoke bars, I guess, technically, because they're not like bars, but they're like those solo karaoke rooms. And then there's like a building that's full of them. I don't know. I'm no expert on this, but the comfort <laughs> in. Yeah, I, you I, might I, not find out why he was in there smoking meth. And it is meth because I did my research and I found out that's the most popular drug in Japan. Wow. <laughs> well, illegal drug. And, and I think anybody who's attended Sunday school knows that Jesus would enjoy meth the most. Right. Of course, naturally. So... You know, you might not get an answer to why he's in there in particular, but you will find out about some of the experiences that have informed his life, including one with Satan and uh, and then just some other things that kind of, you know, maybe left him a little down and out at times. All right. I I, I liked that sequence. It kind of gave me, whether you intended to or not, um, sort of a, a quick flashback to, to Yukio finding Wolverine in Claremont's. Mm. <laughs> No, that's a good call. Oh, something I forgot to mention. Those webcomics will be printed in the back of the issues as kind of like a little extra material. Okay. Okay, because that yeah. was that was going to be one thing I, I was going to ask, because I know, and if I'm right on this, the, the if I'm not right, let me know. The first two issues are available on Comixology. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so, yeah, um, these mini comics will be uh, included in the print issues. Uh, is there anything else in the print issues to give somebody a little goose to to go to their local comic store owner to uh, pre-order the book. Because let, let's face it, this is probably going to be a pre-order, if only because yeah. my, my local store owner, owner, he'll get Black Kiss for you, but he keeps it behind the counter. Holy fuck, he may have to have yeah. somebody specifically ask for it. So Right, yeah, we've heard that from a couple of retailers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think there's going to be a lot of rack copies for this particular book. So pre-ordering is great if, if somebody out there is hearing this and they're really interested in it. I, I mean, at this point, honestly, you know, number four is ready for pre-order right now. So it's like, you know, you might be at the mercy of, of what your shop can get. But there is going to be a collected edition in the next previews catalog, so... Okay. You know, you're not going to be missing out. And and all those, you know, uh, those Holy Fuck Origins two-pagers will be in there, too. But uh, I think I forgot the question. Oh, was uh, it? I, 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 I know the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, no, man um, nipples. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, man nipples. <laughs> uh, no, um, every issue also has, like, uh, two, uh, the print issues also have uh, pinups at the end. That's right. Yes. Attempts. Some of our friend artists. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, we were really lucky to have some friends that came through a big time and hooked us up with some really cool pinups. And we're excited to, uh, to have those in there. An example of one of those is on, on Tumblr, right? The uh, Satan pinup. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll, yes. we'll put the Tumblr. Oh, my buddy Angela. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll put the Tumblr address in a, in the show notes too. Oh, so and people... yeah, you gotta you gotta stay locked on the Tumblr, man. That's where the kids are now. Yeah, and that's where we're really putting out our juicy material. Like the uh, beefcake Jesus. 
<laughs> What's, did you say something about a fetus or a penis? Because I like both of those. Uh, I was saying beefcake Jesus, but you know, oh, yeah, however you want to roll. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh man, our beefcake covers. That was like. Those are the best. I love that, those. That was a big deal for me. And it's really, it goes full circle because my friend that I was recording that podcast with is the one who drew those beefcake covers. Ah. The one that Daniel listened to and left a comment on. Kaylee nice. McDougal. Did I get that right? Yes, Kaylee McDougal. She's great. Cool. Okay, so yeah, I'm just no uh, looking at my notes to uh, because I'm vaguely. Pre- I am to... looking at my email right now. <laughs> um, I multitask. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. We have Jesus with the uh, clown American. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> On <God>. the cross. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that'll be included in the, in the show notes. Very nice work. <laughs> I thought you were fucking with me, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I may need to take a little break. Oh God. But, um. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, with this... Oh, that's beautiful. Amanda's just holding up her phone on it. Yeah, that's going to the show notes. Um, now I have a new wallpaper for my phone. <laughs> oh, the one other thing, and I don't want you to spoil anything, but I'm just trying to extrapolate on this. Jesus and Maria, I am willing to bet what American money, Krugerans, whatever, that the phrase Bride of Christ will come into play on this one way or the other. Um, the cool thing about this is the characterization, characterization of Jesus you've shown us. If I'm right about that, that could go either way. Either, oh, you're a bride of Christ or bride. Uh, I'm not much about commitment, but uh, are we going to see any kind of relationship between those two beyond I'm having dreams and we have to stop Isis and, and Zeus? Or Again, don't feel you have to spoil anything, but I think we've established during this conversation, I have the, the basest of, uh, of instincts when it comes to what I want to see. I'm not convinced he's over Satan yet. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I, uh, I, the way I like to describe Maria is that she's the main character of Holy Fuck, even though she might not appear to be at first. And she's not necessarily who you think she is. She, as the main character, she has the biggest character arc in terms of um, development and growth. And to me, something that was very important was establishing the sort of parody that we have going on full of uh, action movie tropes and stuff like that, but also having a lot of fun subverting people's expectations throughout the story. So I think it's safe to say that your expectations right now will be incredibly subverted by the time you get to the end. <laughs> incredibly. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's probably the best way to go. Anybody who writes a book for me is not going to go far in any form of, <laughs> any form of business. So, that, look, I immediately go for the lowest common denominator in my own head. It's a personal failing, but... but... No, what you're thinking is kind of like what we want you to think right now. So okay. I think, you know, mission accomplished. If I'm on the... I'm on that, you know, what is it? That, like, Navy jet boat, and I'm George Bush. It's mission accomplished right now. <laughs> All right. And... But then by the time you get to holy fuck number four, you're going to be like, this is not what I expected. And and my goal is to have you saying, it's not what I expected. And I like this way better than what I expected. All right. Very cool. So so right now we got the four issues coming out. Is there anything further with this? Any ideas? Any commitments on it? Or is this just self-contained and move on to something else? Daniel, you want to field that one? Yes, no, maybe in no particular order. <laughs> I like a man who can commit. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we are not at liberty to discuss that right now. Okay. No. 
mission can, accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> All we can say is that me and Nick are working on a lot of different stuff right now All together. Right. And <laughs> hope, yeah, you'll find out what, what some of it is and some of it nobody will ever find out what it is. Okay. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Stay tuned for the fourth issue. I don't all, know. All questions will be answered in Holy Fuck number four. Okay. So somewhere out there, for if we're never going to see it, there, there's some project packed next to the Ark of the Covenant in a government building somewhere <laughs> that just is just hiding and we'll never yeah. know. That's so sad. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. If I'm the getting their vibe right, we, uh, if I'm getting their vibe right, we might be able to figure it out with a black light. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. It's We're pulling it's a combination J.D. Salinger, Steve Ditko on this one, oh. and we're just making volumes of Holy Fuck that we will never let anyone see. <laughs> it's too good for you. <laughs> oh, almost everything's too good for me. I wouldn't be too proud of that. But... Um, so uh, one thing I, I am curious about, you know, Action Lab picked this up. How has it been working with those guys because i think the thing most people know them for is princeless and family friendly type of <laughs> yeah. books so how is working with them what what angle are they you know, pushing with and how's their i, I just g give me a sense of how they've how they've embraced this how they're pushing it why they decided this was what they wanted based on the stuff that every that people who know them what they know it for Am I doing this one? Yeah. <laughs> so the thing I learned, <laughs> the thing I learned about going from self-publishing to working with a publisher is that it's actually not that different than just self-publishing with your friends. And, uh, and so it's been cool working with in particular their danger zone imprint, which is really like its own, it's like a company within a company. They're mm. not really beholden to anything else that the rest of the company is, with the exception of, you know, they put the logo on there and the money goes to them at the end of the day. Um, it's cool. Man nipples. <laughs> right, right. It All was, the man like, nipples a man can eat. Oh, in Princeless, they were like, no man nipples. It's like a very strict rule, but in... Yeah. Holy fuck, we had carte blanche for nipplage. <laughs> Uber nipples. As a matter yeah. of fact, the biggest editorial comment we got was... Please mourn man nipples. <laughs> man nipples. Yes. Oh. Will, will the man nipples get their own Tumblr? <laughs> That's a good idea. I think Daniel's torturing me over this because wasn't like one of the things that you sent to me. One of my like first things was like, I like it, but can't Zeus's nipples be bigger or something like that? I'm getting the sense man yeah. nipples has its own production deal. <laughs> uh, we've we've had we've had a lot of conversations about man nipples. Who hasn't? <laughs> well, you would expect they, that Zeus would be rocking some like big old godly dinner plates up on his chest, right? Right, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly for better conductivity for the electrical bolts. Just, mm -hmm. just wait until you see the variant covers of issue four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Um, it's been cool working with them. Uh, big shout out to Jason Martin, who's the president of the danger zone imprint and or is it publisher of the imprint what is it i think he's president i, I forget the terminology anyway jason martin is the uh writer artist and and he's not our editor he's like our special 
Franny's kind of like our creepy uncle. He's our special friend. Of... As long as we pay him <laughs> fealty and don't tell the police, it's fine. <laughs> he's he's our shepherd, and he, uh, you know, he facilitates. No, I think you're breaking. She's the creative director at Action Lab that was excited to bring this book in. Okay, you, you broke We're up. Breaking up. I don't want to break up with you. We just. I know just we together. we have so much. For Christ's sake, you can't <laughs> leave me like this. Yeah, no. Jason Martin and Dave Dewanch were the ones who dug it, and they brought it into the company. And and Jason's been really cool, and he basically runs everything that Danger Zone does. And he hasn't really had any changes for us to make. The biggest thing was they wanted us to color the book because originally it was black and white. And uh, which Daniel did in like a month. It was fucking unbelievable. Yeah. And it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. It was insane. I literally, uh, like, uh, every issue took me about three and a half days to color. Wow. That's really amazing because I would never have guessed. It looks solid. (laughs) Yeah. Not when you zoom in, but (laughs) 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 the way it's printed, it looks awesome. It came out really good. And then they. They wanted to split the graphic novel up into four issues because that's their business model. So um, those were like really the only changes we had. There was no content changes or anything like that. They were cool with it exactly because we completed the whole book before we sent it to publishers. Oh, okay. So they were just like, yeah, go for it. I think that was a big reason too why a company, you know, was was kind of easier to get one publisher for this because it was like it's already done. You know what I mean? That probably is a smart move because it's much easier to take a chance if you know – yeah, it's uh, there's not going to be any creative changes. Everything's everything's already in the tank. So, yeah, we the, knew it would behoove us. I mean, we don't have a track record to point to. You know, I think moving from here on out, hopefully, we won't necessarily have to do that. But um, but it, I think it was definitely right for us for this book. Yeah, and it was a story we wanted to tell anyway. Well, whether that, yeah. whether or not anyone was gonna, that's one of the reasons that well, it was uh, black and white in the first place. So even if nobody want to publish it, even if we couldn't put it on Kickstarter because of the title or whatever, that we could self-publish it if necessary. Yeah. Well, that's why it's cool to find books like this. You can really, when it's a labor of love and it's like, I would have done it anyway, even if I couldn't get anybody to read it, I just really wanted to do it. That really comes across. And I think it comes across in this. Because like I said, I would have grabbed it just for the title. Yeah, and I've certainly I've done that with dozens of books like it. This one's like, all right, there's really something cool going on here, just beyond the obvious. And uh, so yeah, we we really we really dug it. I'm so happy to hear that. So, so, so um, is this going to be released uh, monthly from here on out? First one's this week, and then is it every four weeks or? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking book will come out, man. (laughs) We're getting used to the system. I don't totally understand it yet. Working with Diamond and printers and all that stuff, this is all new to me. But, um, you know, the book's been in the can for a while. But, look, this is not a high-margin business we're talking about here, you know? And this is not, like, it's, these are people who, just about everybody working at these companies, you know, they have a lot of other things they're working on, or they have day jobs going on, too. So, you know, the... The book is in the can. It should be in stores once a month from here on out. It might the schedule might even be a little bit faster than that. The second issues went to the printers a week ago, oh. and uh, and it's about four to five weeks till it's till Diamond can ship it out to comic shops. So I think you can expect that one. The next one probably mid February, and uh, hopefully 
you know, we were originally solicited to be a little bit sooner than this. And when I say I'm still learning it, it's because I don't necessarily understand all the factors that go into keeping a book, you know, exactly on schedule, but I'm learning it. But the content's all there and you're going to be getting it about monthly and hopefully it'll be as close to the dates and previews as it is. But um, it's not an exact science. Okay, so one way or the other, if you can get in on the ground floor and if your your local retailer has it in stock and you can throw it in your pull list, you, you'll get it pretty regularly through the through Yeah, the get floor. it on your pull list is the best way to do it. But you know what? Also, there are a lot of services like um, you know, like like websites, like dis- discount comic book services and that DCBS, I think. And like, you know, Midtown Comics ships a lot of comics, uh, Mile High, like all those different places order more than what they would sell just in a shop so they can you know, ship copies to their subscribers. So that's another place you can get them to if you're having a hard time at your LCS. All right, very cool. And uh, any convention appearances coming up for either of you guys? Because I'd really like to show you my Merkin. <laughs> Making friends. Uh, San Diego, I think, is pretty, you know, I'm like, I'm only a couple hours away, so. I'll probably be there as well. Exactly. We're really hoping to make that happen, do a little San Diego road trip. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh you know the long beach comic cons in like a month but unfortunately you know i don't i'm not gonna have enough books on hand to set up there that's my that's where i live uh-huh. um but um, i don't know WonderCon. i'm probably just gonna go and hang out i don't think i'm gonna have any <laughs> books there because <laughs> again it's like kind of i won't have like all four issues by then it's like the first week in april just just um, do a big staple binding of them and just walk around in a trench coat hey kid you want to see a comic <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, but I mean, if people want to hang out with me, you can hang out with me at WonderCon. Uh, but any, beyond San Diego, we don't have anything planned. But, you know, if you follow the Holy Fuck Tumblr, uh, it'll we'll blast whatever shows we're going to be at. All right, very cool. All right, Amanda, do you, do you have anything? Otherwise, yeah, like I said, it's 400 hours. It's like next month uh, over where Daniel is and football <laughs> starting soon for Nick. And I'm pretty oh, drunk, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still, I'm still uh, just having some time with the uh, picture of Jesus in the clown market, so just come back to me. Jesus, you want, to, <laughs> want me to leave you alone with that thing? <laughs> My grandmother would be so upset with I'm me gonna right now. I'm going to go to the bathroom with this clown market and crucifix <laughs> photo. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for checking in with us today. Uh, the book is Holy Fuck Number One. It's available on comiXology it's the first two issues on comiXology and first print issue is out this week and thanks a lot for being with us today thanks for having us all right yeah i want to thank those guys for being on the show again that was a lot of fun talking to them it was it was and uh very um happy they they tolerated our our attempt at a first interview (laughs) yeah well it's uh there were one or two technological problems and it, it becomes hard talking with people on Skype through all this technology. And I could at least see the thing lighting up to see that we're talking, you know, you're on the other side of the thing. So yeah. What can I say? We don't have it all worked out yet. Someday. Someday we'll figure out how these machines work. I was looking for the sound effect to do the machine thing. Fuck it. I couldn't find it. All right. So you want to talk about a couple comics? Let's do that. All right. So which one do you want to start with? Oh, let's start with Star Wars. Yeah. That's kind of the, the big tent pole book. I say, yeah, kind of the big one. They say it sold a million fucking copies somehow, uh, which I'm, I'm not sure how that's even remotely possible. Yeah. But although you know, I did ask uh, the owner of our local comic store where they know me by name and asked me not to 
whip out my elegant weapon from a more civilized age in front of the paying clientele. But I asked him how the issue moved when I went in there on Wednesday night. Because um, we talked in episode 46 about how the Dark Horse Star Wars book, which had a lot of things in common with this one, in the sense of when it was set and A-list right. writers, and that never sold more than 50,000 copies. Mm. You know, and Marvel's saying they sold a million of this one. So, uh, yeah, I asked the owner, and he said that uh, there were people, not a ton of them, but there were some people waiting at the door when the store opened on Wednesday. And wow. they, were, they were all there just for Star Wars. Huh. And he said he did a brisker-than-normal traffic in the morning. Because usually his two big spikes are lunchtime when yeah. everybody goes in to pick up their pulls or, or after work, so five, six, seven o'clock. Um, but he said, yeah, I had a reasonable traffic of non-regulars, all of them there looking for Star Wars, and that not one of them did a damn thing other than ask for Star Wars, buy it, and walk <laughs> out. They didn't look at anything. They didn't buy anything else. So that's a lesson for every licensed comic book. Uh, they might bring someone into the store to buy that book. But I ain't going to say fucking comics because they don't <laughs> buy anything else. Um, but he did say that people said they were excited about this one in ways that they weren't for the Dark Horse one. Because since it's published by Marvel, yeah, which is owned by Disney, who now also owns Star Wars, the common perception is that, and apparently this is the case, uh, this story's canon. Wow, this is, okay. This, so people's attitude was this one actually matters. Hmm. I don't know that matters any more than any of the other ones. I mean, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I was around as you were in 1977 when Star Wars came out, and there was a ton of yeah. The Marvel book was out, and Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which everybody sort of knew was sort of the original script for at the time we were calling it Star Wars Two. Even as a kid, I never really thought any of it was. Ooh, this is part of the whole story. It was no, this is interesting Star Wars stories, but all that matters is the movie. Yeah. So that was always sort of the attitude. So it just seems like a weird modern phenomenon to me that, oh no, this one matters. Whether it's good or not, it matters because of who published it. Damn. So, all right, there's no reason to be confused. None of that slash fic that involves Han and Chewie is uh, canon? It's not canon. It happened. I put on a suit. <laughs> went to that glory hole. I, I, I put on my clown merkin and... <laughs> Uh, clown marking on your gherkin. Yeah. But then <laughs> then again, when I was older and the Timothy Zahn novels came out, I did feel that way because the big rumor at that time was that he adapted those from Lucas's original idea for episodes seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Whereas I hadn't bought a lot of Star Wars anything for a while. So it, I, I guess I can understand the, oh no, this one is, this one matters, whereas the Brian Wood one from a year ago that almost all the same circumstances didn't. Yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, this particular issue, this was really fucking good, actually. Well, and, and there are a lot of neat little nods to the fandom buying it. So you open it up, and the very first thing you see is a black page that has in the classic Star Wars font, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away with an ellipses, and then you boom, the next page, double spread, Star Wars. Oh, my God. And you can hear the music in the back of your head. Th that's exactly <laughs> what I thought when yeah. I flipped it open when, when I got it home. It was I could hear that brass sting in my head. Yep. And then, yeah, you flip the page, and the next page is like the, the crawl. Yeah. You know, what is it? Sky Skywalker Strikes, book one. Yeah. And then the next page is four vertical panels with a big spaceship coming from above the camera so to speak moving toward a planet 
that's really reminiscent of the Star Destroyer in the first yep. movie. It was just a few pages, and it's like, okay, nope. Aaron and Cassidy totally get what this is supposed to be. And can I just say how, how much of a pleasure it was to see John Cassidy art? <laughs> just... Oh, yeah. The dude's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, and it's weird. Although I have to say, it's funny looking at how he's drawing um, Han Solo because it's it's you know young Harrison Ford from the time, so it's everything's not completely photorealistic, but you you know who you're looking at. Yeah, there are one or two drawings where it's like, oh, that's definitely Harrison Ford from 1978. Yeah. Yeah, but then same. there's some others where it's like, eh, close. But but um, if you go and you look at how he drew Elijah Snow for Planetary. It looks like an older Harrison Ford. I never really thought of that, but you kind of have a point. I like think. if you, like it just I, it occurred to me because I I went and looked. So I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, shit! Now I got to go downstairs and take a look at my planetary <laughs> anthology. <laughs> but it does. You, you kind of have a point. So, but so yeah, he, he took certain liberties with everybody. But there's a, there's one or two panels throughout the book where it's like, oh no, that's Carrie Fisher, that's yep. Mark Hamill. Oh, absolutely. So, now the other ones. Yeah, uh, Chewbacca, you got a lot of latitude if you want. Chewbacca, but. in some ways, in this book, is more of a badass than he ever was in all of the other movies. Well, all right, here's one thing that I really noticed. Aaron seems to understand the popular conception of these characters and uses the conception to drive the characterization more than we ever really got in the movies. Yeah. It's like he gets what we think about the characters and delivers that, even though... We never really saw those things. Like Han Solo has a reputation of a, a scoundrel living and dying by his mouth and, you know, talking his way in and out of situations, but he never really does that in the movies. Right. You know, he mouths off a lot to Luke and Leia, but other than when he tried to talk his way out of stormtroopers coming to the detention area, where he ended it with it's a boring conversation anyway, <laughs> meaning blew up the board. Meaning he couldn't talk his way out of it. Yeah. We never see him talking his way in and out of situations in the movies. Right. Everyone sort of has that idea, but it never really happens. But Aaron uses that here. That Leia, as the primary physical aggressor, you know, she does more punching out stormtroopers and in the first few pages of this book. Right. And then being the one who is so... The, the only one who's saying, it doesn't matter if we all die. If you have a clean shot at Darth Vader, you fucking take it. Yeah. You know... That says a lot about her that we don't see in the movies. The, you know, we get everything. Oh, she's a strong woman. Well, she's a hostage through almost the entire first movie. Yeah, they they kind of damseled her. And... Yeah, and, and she's along for the ride and love struck in the second one. And in the third one, yeah, she, you know, we see her kill Jabba. <laughs> and then, well, really, the, what more does she need to do after that? Well, yeah, but we see her kill Jabba after she's been. In a, sex in a bikini, yeah. yeah, probably sexually assaulted by a space slug, and she fires two shots at stormtroopers outside the shield generator. So, you know, and and yeah, with with Luke, well, all right. First, first, let me do Chewbacca since you okay. brought it up. Having Chewbacca as a sniper is really smart. Yeah, because we've spent three movies seeing him carrying what amounts to a long gun, that bowcaster. Yeah. And he hardly ever shoots it. He's always got like a blaster, you know, yeah, semi-automatic or whatever. So it makes sense that he'd be a trigger man up at a sniper's post instead of just the the muscle that we get through right. shit four movies because he showed up in uh, Revenge of the Sith. That's right, he does. And and 
one Witchery. thing one thing I really liked here was was Luke. Because Luke is a kind of mouthy guy. Yeah, he's in touch with the Force, but he's also flinging around, if you hate the Empire, come with me, and running straight at Vader. Making dumbass kid mistakes, which is what you would expect, because this, this is set to take place between Star Wars and Empire. Right. But when it comes to the movies, we see Luke as a kid in over his head in the first one. He's basically a monk in training in Empire. And then he's just a Jedi in Return of the Jedi. But it's easy to forget. And Luke's costume in this, I think, says a lot. And that Aaron and Cassidy get it. At the end of Star Wars, Luke had chucked his desert costume. He didn't put on Jedi robes. He dressed more like Han Solo. It's true. Now, as a kid, I assumed when I saw that at the end of Star Wars that he was growing up to be more like Han Solo because there's really two father figures in Star Wars. There's Ben Kenobi, and that's the obvious one, and that's the one they track through all the movies. But there's also Han Solo. Luke Skywalker learned how to be a man in Star Wars from both of those guys. Although if he had ever told Han that he saw him in any kind of fatherly light, Han would have flipped that and said, no, I gave your mom a fake name. That was not my phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the movies, he wouldn't have. In this comic, he might have because he actually talks his way out of things. But but yeah, and I think George Lucas initially saw the same thing. Why else put him in a costume that's, that's that close to Han Solo's? Right. So, but we never saw that. We never saw him taking any kind of cues from being around solo for that first movie. Yeah. And and here we get a good mix of Luke doing some straight ahead brawling. Yeah. You know, and just willing to run straight. Remember when Han Solo ran straight at the stormtroopers yeah. in the first one, <laughs> running straight at Vader. But there's enough of the Jedi stuff there where he's willing to follow his senses and do straight out. Yep. I'm a Jedi. And therefore I am obligated to free these slaves that I found. It's a really good characterization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the characterizations are are solid, even down to R two, who who does the uh, droid equivalent of peeing on the floor. <laughs> you expect from the first movie that that he's the the little droid with a, an attitude of of I'm going to do my own thing regardless of my programming. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's sort of what he does here. Like R two, you do what we want you to do, and he takes his own goddamn time. <laughs> yeah, and basically threatens to shock the dude's balls off. Yeah. So, so yeah, all the characterizations were really based on what you think of with these characters, much more so than what we ever saw. And that's part of why it's so cool. That's what we always wanted to see. Yeah. So I'm hoping that keeps up. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I liked in this is sort of at the guts of it, it's, it's kind of a heist story, which is not a thing that we've ever seen in Star Wars. We've seen right. it implied, you know, but... Yeah, in the in the first movie, you know, the con, the heist, it's over when the movie starts. You know, the Star Destroyer is chasing down Princess Leia's ship. That means <laughs> their cover's already fucking blown. It's right, already right. too late. Yeah, you know, in the in the in Empire, the only bullshit artist Lando Calrissian, and it's not like he actually planned it. Yeah. Um and by Jedi, Lando's already embedded with Java before Java before the movie even starts. Right. So, you know, and Leia threatening to blow up the building with a hand grenade's not exactly Ocean's fucking eleven. No. So. No. <laughs> so yeah, to to see a little bit of you know yeah, it's a guerrilla war, and we have to sort of talk our way, sneak our way into places 
it's kind of cool to actually see more of it in this one. Yeah. So, it, and the, I don't know why it had this much of an effect. I think it was a combination of the art and mm-hmm. just the context. And I, I say I don't know why it had an effect because he did exactly the same thing in the first movie. And it was just sort of a throwaway thing. But when the voice of Ben Kenobi tells Luke to run at yeah. the very end of it, yeah, there was such a sense of... Yeah, you're kind of fucked and it's too late. And I don't know if it was a combination <laughs> of just, whereas the in the movie it was run, Luke, run. And he just sort of turned it because all the stormtroopers were coming and it was just sort of blown by. I don't know if it was the combination of this is the end of this chapter and a combination or also Cassidy's art, which is sort of a forced perspective of Luke in the foreground and everything sort of shrinks down to Vader off in the distance running flat out so it looks like a tunnel right. where there's no escape whatsoever. Yeah. You know, the combination had it really have weight for, uh, yeah, you're kind of fucked now. <laughs> and, you know, otherwise it just, it had all the stuff you'd expect from a Star Wars story. You got 3 po, 3PO chattering, everything that could possibly go wrong does go wrong. The Millennium Falcon fucking breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you got the beginnings of the tension between Han and Leia. You know, whenever Vader shows up, everything's gone to hell. It, yeah. it just, it got everything right. Yeah. I mean, is there anything I'm missing on this or? No. And, and then, you know, some of the stuff that they show after where there's, you know, just silent panels, but uh, Vader going to Jabba. And you know what they're about to talk about because that leads directly into the actions that play out in Empire. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, what else is there in here? There, there's some preview of um, Leia's own spinoff book, which were kind of neat. The that's uh, with Terry Dodson art. And that was pretty cool to look at. Yeah, the spinoffs. We'll we'll have to see how they do. There's also a Darth Vader spinoff coming. Yeah. Right now, this has the flat-out A-list talent, and as the first shot across the bow, it's, okay, maybe you got some really interesting comic stuff to do. Right. Marvel does. It's very possible they could dilute the thing. Right. You know, with too many books. But also, that's a good... As long as this stays tight, the other ones could be really good, or, eh, okay, it doesn't really matter. This one... I was not expecting a hell of a lot from it, and I probably should have because, you know, Jason Aaron and John Cassidy are both creators I really like. Yeah, I just, it was it was a very immersive experience, and it was, it was I hesitate to say note perfect, but nothing in there was jarring, nothing in there pulled you out of the story. It was, you wanted to reread it, like when you finished it, like, no, wait, wait, let me go back. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... It was rock solid, and it was better than I expected. Yeah, which is very cool. Yes. So, so anything else on uh, Star Wars? Or? Um, no, just that it, I, I don't, I still don't know why it specifically moved a million units, but it was well, well worth the five dollars or the four ninety nine. So, yeah, I would like to see it uh, drop back a little bit. I think the I didn't do a page count on this one, and believe it or not, I do that with some books I read. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, what am I paying for here? And that I want to say it was longer than twenty pages. I think you're right, but yeah, hopefully it'll drop back a little bit. Because even though I said earlier on, you know, I don't really care what books cost right now. There, there's a certain mental. It's like when cigarettes went to $5, and that was the first time I was like, maybe I should quit. 
Yeah, I th- I feel like four ninety nine is like my mental threshold. If I start seeing something, unless it's like a super double annual or something, yeah, creep much above that. Like if I ever see like a five ninety nine, that is my brain's gonna be like, eh. yeah, it's that'll be the that might be the point where certain books. Like with cigarettes, I switch from packs to cartons. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know what? I can go to New Hampshire and get 10 packs. I'll wait for the trade on this one. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, this one was well worth the five bucks. Right. I hope it scales back, but I will probably stick with this one as long (laughs) as this team's on it and as long as it keeps hitting like this. Yeah. It also had the unintended side effect of making me want to dig out all of our planetary and reread them. (laughs) I've uh, I've got the full volume right downstairs on the shelf. I know. So... (laughs) All right, so next book? Yes. All right, so Constantine 21. Right. uh, Written by Ray Fox, drawn by Jeremy Hahn. Uh, This is, we're kind of right in the middle of, this is a crossover with uh, Earth Earth 2 World's End. uh, Because Constantine is, so we'll say right out of the gate, this is not a good book to jump in on for Constantine. (laughs) But yeah, he's trapped on Earth 2 as Darkseid's forces are invading um, and just wiping out everybody in sight. Uh and John has the Earth 2 versions of himself and his family ready to escape, but they can't because with John and his Earth 2 double, it'll fuck up the magic and split up the right. souls and it'll just fail. So you got Dr. Fate there and he's sort of holding off Darkseid's parademons, but he's also hoping to hitch a ride with John back to the regular DC universe to get out of this shit show. Yeah. And uh, basically John has a few choices. He can kill himself so that the good version of himself and his family can escape. He can kill the good Earth 2 version of himself so he can escape, or he can put on Dr. Fate's helmet and gain his magic. But But at the cost of his soul. Right, become his slave, basically. And even though this is right in the middle of an arc, um, and I've not been, I think the Constantine series, because again, we were big fans of Hellblazer before right. it was canceled. So this series has been kind of up and down for me. This issue is definitely the most Hellblazer-like take on John Constantine I've seen yeah. since the new series started. Well, yeah, he sort of puts the gun on the wall. He makes a comment and he said, if I ever met myself, I thought I might want to shag myself. But what he really means is fuck myself over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you really look at it for all the... Constantine slash Hellblazer comics we've seen over the years. This is one of the most intimate betrayals he's ever had to pull to save his own ass. Cause yeah. he basically has to betray himself. Yeah. And, uh, I think Fox show does a good job in showing the weight of that decision yeah, as he tries to figure out a way out, but also sort of talks himself into it. Right. Now, there's stretches of it where he's, oh, I really should, I've got nothing. I'm I'm a shit. I should just let myself go. And, oh, uh, but if I put on Dr. Fate's helmet, I'll become a slave. And he might just make me kill the other John anyway. And and I don't want to die. Yeah. I really so, don't want to die. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> so, yeah. And in the meantime, as he's sitting there dithering, he's watching versions of his friends and family get killed by the parademons. Right. So... Putting off the decision is just making things worse for people. So no matter what, and he knows that he's going to decide to save his own ass. Right. So it's just, yeah, he's a shit around the decision and lies through his teeth to get stuff done. Fucks over Dr. Fate, who granted may have been trying to fuck him over, but 
yeah, was it, counting on him to get out of this mess. This is an interesting version of Dr. Fate, you know, for, for those who are mostly familiar with him and say Justice Society of America, good guy kind of context. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not that version. <laughs> well, it's it, it really is one of those things where if you think about it, this interpretation is always there. Right. You know, the concept of the helmet as curse. Yeah. Where you're allowing this other entity with its own agenda to take you over. Yeah. It's it's not it's not a far leap to go from, oh, I've got the helmet of Naboo and I'm gonna save Earth too, to this thing has me and now I have to do what it says. And right. that's not necessarily I don't necessarily trust its agenda. Well, yeah, I mean you, you have to give up your own agency and and that's a big trust fall. <laughs> and yeah, that's a hard dollar you put on a helmet and you can't do what you want to do. You're not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> you just gave me the worst look. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like, you know, helmet special. It's more like <laughs> <laughs> All right, true, but <laughs> But uh Yeah, I mean, the biggest complaint I've had since Hellblazer was canceled was that Constantine was was just too heroic. He's running around with Justice League Dark. And you know, yeah. basically, oh, he's kind of a dick, but he's still just constantly trying to save the world. You know what I, I just thought of? Because we, we watched a, a bit of a mini community binge earlier today. What? Right now, running around with Justice League Dark, John Constantine, for better or worse, is the Jeff Winger of Justice League Dark. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think he has the abs for the part, but okay. <laughs> No, but, but, but go with me on this, all right? He's the cool guy. <laughs> yeah. That has to kind of run things. Even it, it falls to him because other people, you know, try to step in to do it occasionally, but with less success, even though it should be a no brainer given that it's John Constantine, that, you know, somebody else could be doing this better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with fewer casualties. <laughs> I'm a nasty piece of work. Ask anybody. <laughs> You've got a point, I guess, but. Yeah, you know, that being said, I don't know who that makes the Brita of the group. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, who was the the first one who was just awful in the pilot of Constantine? Oh yeah, um, Liv. Liv, yeah. <laughs> but for for Justice League Dark, I, I I would hate to give that honor to to Zatanna, but. Um. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, who else is on that? I'm like a couple issues behind on that. Um, in the early issues. I'm not sure. I just because nobody's like out, out going out of their way to like suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> you just want to suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> Sorry about that. It took me a second to find the button. That's okay. But uh, I, I just it, it occurred to me like yeah, this is they're setting up a similar paradigm with Justice League Dark too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to I, that I can kind of see that. But when it comes to this issue. You know, all of that stuff basically gets chucked by the wayside. Right. So you know, finally, yeah, he, getting away from that, coming to this. Yeah, he fucks his friends. He fucks his family. He fucks, fucks Dr. Fate. He fucks himself. And he fucks all of Earth, too. Yeah. That's John Constantine. Yeah. He just, it's like, I'm in a scrape, and I will do anything that I have to do to get out of it, and God help you if it get in my way. Right. And, you know, if things turn out okay, all right. But as long as they turn out okay for me, yeah. then that's really what matters. You know, which is... Interesting because we had a, a parallel with that this week in the TV series, and I, I was disappointed to hear that the ratings were down. Apparently, it had a 0.8 share 
Well, how the fuck do you put John Constantine on at eight o'clock on Friday it's, it's night? It's like NBC is going out of their way to try to kill it. <laughs> uh, maybe. Hopefully they switch it back and do it quick. Yeah. It is not an eight o'clock show. No. But it was it was darker, more violent and gory this week at eight o'clock than it has been at any point in its season. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell were they thinking? And it was willing to go places that you know it it has not up until now. I mean Pumped a man full of heroin to save his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the show really has improved, so I'm hoping they find a way to get it a a back nine. Yeah. To give it a full season, certainly putting it eight o'clock. I, I don't. I didn't think it was a good idea when they did it, but yeah. If the idea was to get more eyes on it, I'm not sure that it succeeded. If only because I don't know how many people knew that it was moving to eight. Yeah, yeah. Our TiVo just sort of got it. I'd yeah. actually forgotten about it because they announced it a few weeks ago, and just sort of noticed. Oh, it's getting it now. Let's watch it. Right. So you know, I'm hoping that the ratings kind of balance when they get the plus threes and the plus sevens. Um, which I take into account the digital um, video recorders and all of that. Okay, because I was going to say, I don't know what the fuck that means. Look at me, you know, and stuff. There you go. <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a good book, so we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Because now he's, they, he referenced other stages they're going to have to go through. So are they back on his Earth yet, or are they still bouncing around in various dimensions? I honestly don't know how the, the spell will have worked or not. We're mm. going to have to see next month like everybody else. Yeah. But yeah, this is the the best issue of DC Universe John Constantine. Uh, to date. Yeah, I mean, since they brought him back in, uh, what was it, Brightest Day? I think was so. Was the first time. So Yeah. So it was very encouraging. It's For the first time, it's like, oh, awesome. I can't wait until the next <laughs> next issue. So this is a good one. Yeah. All right, we got anything else? Nope, I, I think that's that'll do it. All right, so why don't we wrap it up? Uh, do you want to say one more thank you to Nick Marina and... Uh, Marino. Marino. What the hell did I say? Marino. Oh, sorry. Look, I'm on my I'm on my second beer, and honestly, I had a little bit of whiskey while we were doing the, the interview. Um, Nick Marino and uh, Daniel Aruda Massa uh, did the Holy Fuck comic. We're good enough to talk to us today. Yes. I don't know where you found this episode, but you can always find us at our home website of crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. We don't do nearly as much of it as we should, but you can get a link to our Facebook page where we do get messages and we do respond to them. Yes. Uh, you can get that through our home website. Um, we are on iTunes. We are. So if you happen to find this there, do us a favor, shoot us a rating or give us a review. Let us know <laughs> what you like, don't like. Please speak to us, for God's sake. Tell us if you want clown markins. Clown markins, indeed. <laughs> no, the clown market is mine. I own it. All right. <laughs> Something you want to tell me? <laughs> yes, you can always email us. <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail.com. If anything honks tonight, you're sleeping in the car. I'm going to sleep in the car anyway, and a lot of things will honk. <laughs> um, we are on Twitter. Uh I don't know where Twitter At Infinite Midlife. Thank you very much. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Anything I missed? I think that's all of it. All right, that is it. So this has been episode 51 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and, uh, and Derp. It's always fun to talk about religion. <laughs> yes, I'm a Mormon. That's why I just smoked a pack of Newport and drank three vodka tonics. <laughs> I'm a vodka tonic behind. <laughs>